friends, welcome to episode 241 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? I'm exhausted. Yeah, I know, same man. Not feeling like the greatest from lunch, didn't even have dinner. Just, I, I think also, like, because I'm tired, I've got that, like, stomach thing that goes with being tired. Yep, yep. So it's all just a stack of... You're, you're, like, physically out of it. I'm, like, emotionally out of it. That makes sense. So, like, the just the, the, between the two of us, I think we possibly have one working human being here, but... I think that makes sense. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. hey... Good news, though, is that we have a system spotlight tonight, and we kind of get to, like, it's, it's, I think it's kind of our, our comfort food, you know? I would say that. Did you grow up on Star Trek? I did, like, I remember, I don't, I don't have vivid memories of uh, OG Star Trek. Okay. I really don't. Like, yeah. I, I kind of remember an episode here or there. Next Generation is really where I started watching. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched a lot of Deep Space Nine. Like that, that definitely was in my my jam wheel. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did watch Voyager, a good chunk of it actually. Um, and so that was in my. I I, I don't remember if I finished it formally or mm-hmm. not, but I remember knowing the ending of it. You know. Yeah. Um, never really got into Discovery. Was that the next one? Uh, I don't know. Scott Bakula? Uh, no, that was Enterprise. Enterprise. Yeah. Uh, and then I uh, haven't really seen the new stuff much at all. Like Picard, I've seen a couple episodes of. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the other stuff because it's on Paramount Plus. Like I, I don't have access, so I just I haven't got a chance to get into it. So, so I, I absolutely grew up in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Like, like the the franchise that was a household staple in our, you know, mm-hmm. in, in growing up with was Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't actually watched a lot of the original series, um, mm-hmm. but all of the movies. Yeah, and I have seen all of the movies. All of the movies. Um, and, I mean, you know, Wrath of Khan, uh, Search for Spock, I mean, those, hundreds of times, probably, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, when Next Generation came out, um, our, our family ritual was we would go to church on Sunday and then we would come home and it was like uh, – uh, I think we'd, we'd set up our VCR because it would play at noon, which we usually went to the noon uh, services on, on yeah, Sundays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so we would come home from church, and that was kind of, a, you know, our, our thing was, like, we would make lunch and watch Star Trek. Okay. Uh, as we as we did that, we had, you know, the, the, the VHS recorder. Like, no, I ooh, 100% you know? remember scheduling stuff. That was a thing. Yep, yep. So, uh, yeah. And then, you know, rolled right right on through uh, Deep Space Nine. Um, Voyager didn't really catch on with me. I, I personally don't have a high opinion of it. Right. And then I think I kind of fell off after that because I, I don't think I really grabbed onto Enterprise either and... I think I kind of become of the opinion, at least during that, that sort of doldrums in, in the Star Trek franchises that, like, those eh, maybe maybe Star Trek has kind of fallen off as a franchise, you mm-hmm. know, um, kind of got away from it. And then recently, Sean and I picked up a Paramount Plus subscription, and uh, we went through all of Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. and uh, we went through all of Star Trek Picard. He mm-hmm. really liked Picard. I wasn't too huge on it. I thought season three was pretty decent, mm-hmm. but um, understandably, it was a lot of fan service, though. Yes. Um, and essentially a rehash of a Deep Space Nine plot, but, but you know, eh. Uh, but it was it was interesting enough. You know? Yeah. It was good to see the gang back together. Um, but we've been super into uh, Strange New Worlds. Mm-hmm. And Lower Decks. And Lower Decks. And 
I, the crossover episode between the two of those is one of the best episodes of Star Trek I've ever watched. Like, I caught uh, a good portion, uh, because just YouTube was spewing it out, of the musical uh, Strange New Worlds. Oh, yeah. That, that episode was incredibly good musically. Um, and enough of the... I know enough of the uh, the crossover episode, but I'd have to say that just in the stuff that I saw of uh, Lower Decks, it does a really good transitional job of having kind of a comedic, cartoony existence, yeah, yet still 100% be recognizably Star Trek. Yeah, I, I've actually said this several times watching yeah. the watching the watching the show. Is like it's like wow, that's you know, it's amazing that they can be so off the rails, but you know, at the end of the day, it is still quintessentially a Star Trek story. So I'm going to parallel here for a second and kind of bring us back around to our actual show, and that is is that seeing how many different variants there were out there of ways to tell a Star Trek story. Yeah. Both between the the old, I would say the old movies, the original cast, sure, sure. you know, movie style. Those old and, scientists. And then the new Star Trek movies, the reboots, mm -hmm. you know, definitely have a different feeling. There's definitely a different flavor. There's oh, more sure. action sure. in the new stuff that is, that is, it's way more action oriented and more comedic in a way. Mm -hmm. Whereas like the old one ranged between like, you know, uh, um, a little bit of comedy and a little bit of action, but a lot of a lot of intrigue yeah. wrapped into that. Yeah. Um, and that was always nice. I liked the pacing of that. But, like, Lower Decks is funny and witty and yet full of of odd action. Mm -hmm. Not, like, intense, but, like, really dramatic moments. Stuff you can't get away with in any other medium, I think. You know, they, they kind of really looked at Lower Decks and said, like, what what can't we do? Mm -hmm. reasonably with mm -hmm. live action and, and, and live sets and live props and stuff like that. What, yeah. what can we do with with animation that we could never get away with doing in, a, in an actual Or they'd be Trek way show? too expensive. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, they, and they, they do all that stuff, and it's yeah. just great. And Strange New Worlds is basically like, okay, can we put all of these people on a green screen set and make it still look like it's not? I think it was great. No, it looks fantastic. Like, don't get me fantastic. wrong. I think it looks fantastic. Like, yeah. they're pushing the medium of uh, the media edge. I think with a lot of what they do there. Yeah, it's refreshing to see too. Because, yeah, because like, honestly, going back and watching some of the older Star Trek stuff, you you know, it it shows its age. Oh yeah, it definitely shows its age. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But I think Strange New Worlds is doing some really fantastic stuff. Some really good storytelling. Some really great acting. So that that point, I'm gonna I'm gonna shift gears for just a minute. Yeah, I actually just saw the D and D movie. I finished it. Oh, you I did finally. finally. Honor it. among thieves. Yeah. Yes, and I will say, it's better than it deserves to be. It's phenomenal. It is. It is a great movie as a standalone. It it gave just enough fan service because it's not fan service. It's lore. Mm -hmm. The way they present it is lore. It's just lore. That's all it is. Yeah. And in that sense, again, it is a different way to tell a D and D story from what we see or think we see or wait or what we've read. Mm -hmm. And this is just another kind of fr framework of, of saying that like role playing can be told in a million different ways Yeah, in, in the same world, in the same, with the same uh, outline around it and policies and procedures that dictate it. Cause like, I'm sorry, the Federation is kind of a guideline. Sure. You know, that's pretty strong. So I, I think it's, I think it's neat. I think it's neat. Yeah, absolutely.
And I think Mephidius did a good job on it. I, I think Mephidius did a great, did a, did, a, did a phenomenal job, and I'd like to, uh, let's let's deep dive that now. All so. right, I'm going to take a quick crash course in the history, because honestly, there's not a lot with Mephidius. It's pretty much just right out of the gate. So yeah, they started yeah. in 2012, mm-hmm. a small private company, like their, their own thing, which is nice, um, with uh, Octoon Cthulhu, which I know... Octung. Yeah, I know nothing about it, but the start point there sounds fantastic. Um, in 2017, they released the quote-unquote first edition of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and since then, there are 45 additional books. 36 are adventure books and supplements, many of which are free. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a Klingon core book. They have full-on, on-their-site, downloadable VTT support. Um Tons of accessories, dice, screens, a tricorder edition that comes with some extra box stuff. Oh my god, have you seen the tri- like? Did you see the box? I for did. The tricorder. No, it, I it looks like did. one of those old tricorder bags from the yep. original series. Not to mention just a a, a many plethora of resources. Like mm-hmm. if you put in Mephidius and Star Trek Adventures into a Google search, you will find. Stacks and forums and and amazing sites full I, I was of blown content because I didn't I didn't bother to look right yeah. I I've been I've been just buried nose deep in this book just trying to wrap my brain around the, the game mechanics and stuff like that and you know also kind of kind of with the like a lot of times like I'll skim through things with from first system spotlights and yeah. just kind of you know okay I'll read it enough to kind of get the gist of it and then be able to convey it on the podcast and mm-hmm. then it kind of goes on the shelf Star Trek is one that I really want to run so I was. I was giving this one an extra thorough read through. Yeah, and it's it's a thick book too. It's like three hundred and fifty pages. I want to say, and, and I will say here in front of me just early on their quick start, which is free. You can get it on Drive Through RPG or on their site. Is a great handshake at how the rule system works. It's not small. Yeah, the three sixty four. Yep, in the main book. Um, but the quick start is short, but it really dives into the rules. Like, mm-hmm. it lets you know what the base rule set is and what you're getting into, gives you characters, gives you everything you need, and and a mission, and yeah. an away mission. And I think all of that is necessary for it to get off the ground. But when you look at the quick start, you will get an understanding of what kind of rules you're really getting into. Yeah. And it's honest. It is an honest way. There's a lot of systems that when they hit their quick starts, really slim down what you're being offered, so you're not seeing all the mechanics. Mm-hmm. Because of the way Mephidius designed this, I can honestly say you're really seeing all the mechanics. Yeah, you just yeah. don't recognize it until you get the book. The and and I, I having read through the main book, I might almost suggest starting with the quick start rules just so oh, yeah. you can see them without the extra kind of. I'm gonna say clutter. It's probably an uncharitable word. Um, but, uh, without, without getting bogged down in little lore snippets and all the illustrations and the, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of in a tone a bit, like some role-playing books are where it's like, you know, welcome to, to the Federation, you know, as a new starship captain, you're going to be on a life adventure. That's great. Teach me how to play your game. You know, it does get to it though. Pretty quickly. But it, but it does. It does. And I, I'm not. Like I said, char- We're not bagging. I, th- I, I think clutter is an uncharitable word, but you get what it kind of what the what the gist mm-hmm, is, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. Uh, but I mean, when I when I start talking about this, like this this book really is packed. It is three hundred and sixty three pages, but it is dense because it's got so much. I mean, Star Trek is such a big, prolific IP. Let Let me just throw this out there. Yeah. It does in 70 pages. Now, that sounds like a lot. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, and I, I remember going through some of the 7C stuff, but in 70 pages, it does a fine job of wrapping up Star Trek. And yeah. that is versus, and I looked this up, 837 and a half hours of content. 837 and a half, half hours of content. Not to mention 850 novels and 256 comics. My goodness. There is nothing close to that. And gigabytes worth of slash fic, if you know, oh my, you know. Oh, dude, yeah. So to be able to do that in 70 pages in the book and then wrap that, wrap the rest of the feeling within the rules, mm-hmm. within design. Because there's all kinds of little bits scattered throughout the book that give you more and more feel. Yeah. I mean, the I guess one of the gifts that Star Trek presented that this book just took in is Captain's Logs. Mm-hmm. And and systems logs and reports, that that's a big thing. But not only just from the Federation perspective, but you get like little like you know Romulan Tal Shiar snippets, yeah. and you know a little Dominion, uh, mm-hmm. you know Jem Hadar uh, uh, reconnaissance report, and you know yep. something from the Cardassian Union, you know some Legate or or whatever, you know writing a little thing All right. about his encounter with the, with, the, with the Maquis. So the setting and feel of this book, like. The quick start, I think I said, like, kind of leans into the combat as a, as a design choice of presenting the rules. And I understand why they did that. It is probably the cleanest view of the mechanics mm-hmm. and gets everything out of the way very quickly. But that is not what this game is about. The game is not leaning into combat. It is leading into challenges. And through what we know of Star Trek, of exploration... Science, diplomacy, adventure, but not necessarily like we're going to go out there and kick some Romulan butt. Like that's that's not the first step forward. And it's constantly reiterated throughout the book that that's not the case. That is not the story that they want told within these pages, even though it's very capable Mm -hmm. of doing so. Uh, yeah, it offers you a lot of a lot of other tools. Um, I mean, the, the combat section is honestly like what? three or four pages worth of a 363 page book you know mm-hmm. there's really not a lot of a lot of focus on it whatsoever yeah other than to say and I said going to the quick start was that they use that because it shows all of the rules mm-hmm. of how the roles go how momentum's used how traits are used yeah combat has its own unique systems to it so it's very important to put those in a mm-hmm. quick start because you want to you want to be able to put all of the rules in front of them, and those are rules that exist. Without you know, doubt. but when you get to the, to, down to the main book, um, it's really not a big thing in and of itself, and it's also kind of buffered by you know if you are reading the 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 ancillary stuff, mm-hmm. not just the rules themselves. Um, they do quite a bit of talking about how like yeah, not not all conflicts are. Uh, to the death. Mm-mm. Not all conflicts are to the last man. Mm-mm. You know, oftentimes people will flee, mm-hmm. or your your fight may be to cover an escape that you're mm-hmm. already doing. You know, things like that, and and that, that violence really should be kind of a last resort. Yeah. You know, um, even then, when you get into like the starship section too, they make note that like the Federation is not a military organization. Mm-hmm. Yes, we have phasers and photon torpedoes. We're not stupid. We have to defend ourselves. Mm-hmm. But we are not out there for conquest the way some other, other alien races are. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah, we learned that war was bad. We are explorers and diplomats in this age. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really what you want to focus on. Yeah. But 
if you have to do it, here's the rules for jamming a photon torpedo up some warbird's ass. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and I, I I really like that because it does carry through the tone of Star Trek all throughout throughout it. So many other game systems that we've we've read in the past have given us that tonal whiplash of like this is a game about peaceful exploration. Here's fifty seven rule you know pages of combat rules. Yeah. Only to remind you later that, oh, yeah, this is a combat game. Yeah. We're just just not going to say that outright. Yeah. So, uh, do you want to talk about the rules a little bit? I do, but I want to preface something. Sure. When I I read through the actual mechanics and I started looking through the the copious amount of rules that are in this, Mm -hmm. it was daunting, without a doubt. It was. It It is a lot of rules. But seeing, like... I think I made the point that it it felt like a mandala. Mm-hmm. When you look at it, you're it, it's a lot to look at. Like that image of a mandala, like you, your eye moves around it very quickly. You're trying to get the whole feeling of the the piece of art, but it's a lot to take in. But it, it's still it's art. Big. It's, it's intricate. Yeah. It's interwoven. It looks so complicated, and you you almost can't comprehend it when you're looking at it. Exactly. But you know what it is? Yeah. It's just sand, dude. It's just sand. It's just all sand. Yeah. And one of the things that I, I, I liked about this was is that if you squint at this at every rule in this game, you can see that it's virtually the same every time. Yeah. I likened it a lot to like something like Savage Worlds. Mm-hmm. Um not not exactly in, in how it plays, but just in that there is one core mechanic for how the dice roll. Mm-hmm. And as long as you can grasp that, that gets applied in pretty much a uniform way throughout the game Mm -hmm. there's a couple terms you're going to need to look you know look at and there's a lot of moving parts but all those moving parts just boil down to at the end of the day you're rolling a number of d20 and looking for low numbers yep and that's that's the basic rule that's it yeah Yeah. if you can remember that while looking at everything you're fine Mm -hmm. all right so it's it feels a lot like Dune, which we've already done once. Yeah, uh, Dune was the only other Modifius uh, game that we've we've done. Um, does feel a lot like that. If you want to listen to that system spotlight, uh, that's from June of 2020. Mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. 2022, I'm sorry. Two, two, two. Uh, uh, so the, using the 2D20 system, which mm-hmm. is Modifius's kind of core system, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, your task resolution is going to be rolling two 20-sided dice, mm-hmm. and you're looking for low numbers. Um as most role-playing games do, you've got an attribute plus a skill. We call skills disciplines in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got six attributes and six disciplines. Um, whichever one is appropriate for whatever you're doing. And you you will cross-pollinate these all the time. So, like, uh, you know, security isn't is basically your combat skill. But that's not going to just be a fitness plus security. You might do command plus security or you might do reason plus security if you're trying to like identify something combative or um issue orders like command security would be issuing orders to to soldiers you know so you're always going to be taking a a different sort of combination of of uh attribute plus discipline um you want to roll your 2d20 and you're trying to get under the total of those two things so typically somewhere around a 15 or so. And I would say that actually puts odds of success pretty well in your favor, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because your attribute plus discipline is going to be around 15. You're trying to roll under that. So basically there's only about a 25% chance of, of failure on, on a base level task. Now, um, where it starts getting a little complicated is you have a difficulty level. 
Yes. Okay. And which so that's has confused be... the heck out of me trying to just reiterate, like, where's the sit? Right, right, right. So basically, every every time you roll a number that is that is under your discipline plus attribute, mm-hmm. that is a success. Okay. Um, so a difficulty is basically how many successes you need right. to pull the 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 specific task off. Um. And so then you start getting up into like, well, if you need three successes, how do you do that on two dice? Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. If you roll a one, that is a critical success and that will count for two. You have these things called focuses, which are like specialized areas of expertise. Yeah. Um, they're just word descriptors. So, for instance, like xenobiology yeah. is a focus. Yep. It's not attached to anything. It doesn't have to be attached to a very specific skill. Anything that has anything to do with xenobiology, if you can say, hey, I've got a focus in xenobiology, mm-hmm. storyteller will go, wonderful. And when you roll your dice, since you have that focus, if it pertains to xenobiology, you crit under your discipline instead of critting only on ones. Right. So if you've got like a four in science or something like that, you're critting on four, three, two, and one. Right. For, for multiple successes there. Yep. So you can rack up a lot of different, a, a lot of successes on just two dice. Mm-hmm. And then you can buy more. Yeah. Um, your friends can jump in and help you. Maybe the ship's systems will help you. We'll talk about ships a little bit later. Yeah. Um, or uh, you've got this other great um, uh, resource. resource called Momentum mm-hmm. and Threat. Yes. Momentum and threat, uh, we talked a little bit about when we did our uh, game mechanic swap meet yes. the other week. Um, so what happens basically is, uh, okay, so you set a task for me as a storyteller. You say, this task is going to have a difficulty of one. I only need one success to do this. Mm-hmm. I roll my dice. Wham, one of them comes up a one. One of them comes up a three. Mm-hmm. That's three successes because the one counts for two, right? Mm-hmm. All right, Awesome. That's two more than I needed. What happens now? Well, I can either we can either discuss some sort of opportunity this is opened for me by succeeding larger than I needed to, or I can just take those two extra successes and bank them. Mm-hmm. And these things become momentum, which is kind of like storing away a little extra in your bank account for a rainy day. Mm-hmm. And that rainy day may be the very next roll you make. Mm-hmm. Um you can spend that momentum then at uh, uh, at a cost to purchase extra D20 to roll. Yep. Up to three of them. Yep. If you have six momentum to spend. Yeah. Uh, so it gets expensive. Your first one costs one. Your second one costs two. But that's in addition to the one. So it's technically three. Mm-hmm. And then the third one costs three on top of the three you've already spent. That's six. Right. Now you can at the if you're you haven't spent it, you can technically bank it into a group pool as well at a cost of two to one. I think is what it is. Mm-hmm. So that way, people, other people can grab from that momentum as well. And I like that as a mat. I like that as a as a system. Yeah, I think I missed that the first time around. I thought momentum just was a group pool. No, it's a personal pool that turns into a group pool by choice. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. At a, a two-to-one cost. And I think that's what I... I like that cost breakdown a little bit versus, mm-hmm. like, the the drama dice breakdown of, like, it's just a pool. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You know, that never ends kind of a thing. Um, and some of the factors that you can do, like, you can, uh, you can buy yourself an extra die, or you can... Uh, uh, you can make something advantageous or open an opportunity mm-hmm. or any number of other things. So, so momentum does is a good currency for that. Yeah, not just for buying extra dice, but that's something it can do. Yep. yep. Um, 
And then conversely, you've got a sort of debt system mm-hmm. that goes along with it. Momentum is for storing your extra extra success, your surplus. Well, mm-hmm. what happens if, uh, wow, you really only have two dice to roll and you really need to make four successes, mm-hmm. and the chances of those coming up, both ones is one in 400. Mm-hmm. So what do you say we bank these odds a little bit, but where do you get those extra dice if you're short on momentum? And the answer is threat. Mm-hmm. What you can do is you can say, hey, storyteller, I'd really like some extra dice, but I can't pay you momentum. Can you take some threat instead? Mm-hmm. And the storyteller will say, well, yes, I will. And threat is basically just momentum for the storyteller. He right. can do a lot of the same things with it for his NPCs, mm-hmm. allow them to buy extra dice. You know, It's literally the same math. Create complications for mm-hmm. you guys or block complications you may be trying to create for them by, mm-hmm. by burning off threat and stuff like that. Yep, give you a disadvantage in a situation. Yeah. Stuff like that, yeah. Um, and so, uh, uh, and also, uh, the uh, storyteller may, um, uh, there's also like a critical failure mm-hmm. state where, depending on the, um, if you roll a 20, it's a, it creates a complication. Correct. I, I liked that it's the reverse. Yeah, I really do too. That's fun. That's fun. Um, and also, the, the threat range becomes larger depending on the uh the the difficulty of the task mm-hmm. so if, if you're trying to do like a difficulty five task not only do you need five successes but you crit fail on a 16 up yeah your complications or you sorry yeah you have a complication on a 16 up um and so your storyteller can you know i i i was watching a let's play of it mm-hmm. and the storyteller was just like oh yeah you rolled a complication but mm, I can't think of anything to say right now as far as, you know, an actual material thing to put into the story. So nope. I'm just going to take two threat. Yep, exactly. I'm just going to buy you off, buy them off of you for threat. Yep. And, we'll th- just... and that also helps the uh, – th- I think that also sets a good precedence against games like 7th Second Edition and some of the uh, part of the Apocalypse games where you have to come up with a complication on the fly. Yeah, that's a like, lot of pressure on the storyteller. Especially if the story is going in a, in a specific direction. You've got a mind of, of how the scene looks and what's going on. They're like, I-, I-, I may not know what to do, but I could bank that and definitely figure it out in the next 10 minutes. Right, right. Of what's going to change with that situation. Or I may want my villain to do something special, mm-hmm. you know, later on. Now I have that threat to be able to use. Uh, the only other major mechanic in here, um, and this is kind of where, like, this is really only used in combat, um, is challenge dice. Yeah. And the challenge dice took me a little bit to get my brain wrapped around. Mm-hmm. Um, because not only are they not D20s, they're D6s. Yeah. But the the, the book does this wonderful thing of referring to them as a, as a symbol mm-hmm. instead of as a challenge die. Right. So you just get, like... Uh, Starfleet Deltas, basically the, mm-hmm. little, the little the little triangle symbol. That's the symbol. Yep. Um, and they're like roll three deltas, and you're like, what, what, what is this? Three d six. I have to go back to page seventy two and read this again. You know. Yeah. Um, but they're also they're not d six. Well, six sided. Yeah. But they're not one two three four five six. Yeah. They are one two blank blank delta delta. Yeah. So you, I mean, you can again use regular D six, but honestly, you know, having to try to then remember what these special dice are, well, it's, or buy the special dice from Modifius. The answer is one, two, five, six. Yeah, that's the way they they do the math, and honestly, that's not bad. That's easy to remember. It's not too bad, but it is just an extra layer of abstraction you're right. going through. So yes. it's it makes me roll my eyes a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but 
in practice, what those allow you to do, uh, you'll do things like rolling those for for damage. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, uh, the 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 Starfleet deltas are uh, f- uh, added effect. Mm-hmm. Okay, so not only are you going to get a numerical value off of your dice, but a number of effect uh, procs yep. come in. Um, and those those kind of bring in the the special side rules. Mm-hmm. So like you may have a weapon that has like vicious one mm-hmm. as a special rule. Yep. Um, so when you roll it, it does its damage. Three dice of damage. Okay. You total up that. That's how much damage it does. But for every Starfleet Delta that comes up, it it does an additional point of damage. So um, it's vicious. You know, or or you know like area effect weapons. Yeah. Do that too, where it's like. You hit the intended target, plus an additional target that's nearby for each additional delta you roll. Right. You know, so that's how you figure those sort of things out. Yeah. Yeah, I was reading over some of the uh, 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 NPC ships and weapon systems uh, that you roll deltas on, mm-hmm. and it's like roll five uh, five delta dice mm-hmm. for the effects on this because they're, uh, they call, uh, cause space disruptions. Yeah. And you're like, oh. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> that's... So it, it may just do straight up like five damage to your ship, but it may also screw your sensors over by rolling a bunch of, uh, a bunch of, uh, of deltas, yeah. a bunch of effects. So, yeah. yeah. Um... So let's talk about character creation a little bit. Yeah, because, I mean, that's effectively all the rules are right there. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure everybody, like, the the rich part about Star Trek in general is the characters, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, character creation, of course, you begin with, um, so you, you're going to start basically with a blank slate, mm-hmm. okay? All your attributes are seven. All your disciplines are at one. That mm-hmm. is the only thing you know about your character so far. Yep. Okay. Step one, obviously, we're going to choose a species. Mm-hmm. There are many different uh, uh, species in the in the Federation. Um, the playable ones in the main book are Andorian, mm-hmm. Bajoran, mm-hmm. Betazoid, Denobulan, Human, Tellarite, Trill, and Vulcan. What's bad is I don't know all of those. I should know I had, many of them. I had to look up Denobulan. That okay. one's from Star Trek Enterprise. The, the okay. ship's doctor, I believe, is a Denobulan. Okay, okay. Um, And uh, Tellarite, I literally could not tell you who we've ever seen that's a Tellarite. Oh, wow. Okay, that was the one that I definitely did not know. I thought a Denobulan was something else, but now that makes sense. I, I cannot think of a Tellarite character off the top of my head. Okay, okay. Uh, so Knox in the box says, excuse me, no Tribble. All right. <laughs> there is downloadable rules for there Tribble are... characters. Yes, yes. That that literally was a thing. Um, and now you can get it directly off the site for free. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that happened. <laughs> uh, but there are also like non-Federation races. Yep. Uh, in there as well. You've got uh, like the Ferengi, the, the, um, Romulans, uh. Klingons. Klingons, Borg, all that sort of stuff. There are rules for. Uh, they're like they're non-federation, so they're not in the actual character creation section. Right. But there's a sidebar under every single one of those that says if you've got a weird exception, like Commander Worf, mm-hmm. you know, is a, is a Klingon in Starfleet. Yep. Sure. Why sure. not? Yep. Yep. Um, one of the things I'll say right off the bat, because I know like one of like the way the life path system works in this is is interesting. But within the DM section, one of the parts that it talks about is something that a lot of games don't, and that is, it says DMs should completely read over the character creation section and get to know it so that they can help their players when the player shows up and says, I want to be an engineer, not 
I want to be a krill or I want to be a betazoid, mm-hmm. right? They don't know those things because maybe they never recognize that. Like they just know that they, they just know the position they want to be. They want to be a you know a a, fir, a rising soon to be first officer, you know. Or I want you know I'm working on uh, my character is going to be a you know a uh, a night shift a night crew uh, you know security officer who's barely you know who's basically just in starfleet for the food and the money and travel you know uh and what money and exactly exactly like but depending on the race you know you 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 see things a little differently Mm -hmm. but the whole point of it is is that you need to be able to look at it from multiple angles to be able to help your players and it does a really nice job of giving you some different focus points to ask and what questions to ask which i think is great yes i think that's great for a dm section because there's a lot of story a lot of systems that don't talk about that anything they can do to empower you to make your session zero a better success i think is is great yeah that's not something you see a lot of resources for in most dm sections no no um so you got your races you've got your uh attributes yeah, uh, and so basically your your uh, uh, your species will uh, give you some bonuses, basically, mm-hmm. and you just you take that that base of like I've got seven uh, seven in all my attributes and mm-hmm. one in all of my disciplines, and you just start building on it. Like, okay, if you're an Andorian, cool, you get bonuses to these attributes, and you get this trait, and you get these mm-hmm. talents are available to you now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, the Vulcan mind melds and stuff mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. Those become available to you because you're a Vulcan. Right. You know? Um, and then, essentially, you just continue down the life path system. Um, so, you're going to be talking, uh, uh, looking at um, uh, your birthplace. Mm-hmm. So, where, where were you born? Were you born on a ship? Were mm-hmm. you born on some frontier world? Were you born on your species home world? Mm-hmm. You know, that has a lot to do with with the environment you mm-hmm. were in, mm-hmm. and then your upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you were born on a ship, but that ship was blown up when you were very little, mm-hmm. and you were rescued, mm-hmm. um, you know, by uh, uh, by like an alien race, you know? Yep. Um, Michael from, uh, Michael Burnham from uh, Discovery. Yes. Uh, raised by, a uh, human, raised by Vulcans. Yep. You can do that. Mm-hmm. That's that's very much in the rules here, you know? Yep, yep, yep. Um, then you went to Starfleet Academy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they kind of ask you what sort of area of focus your mm-hmm. study was. Uh, and then you kind of do a little bit of service history as well. Which I love. Yeah. Like, the concept that you're building a character, but not only like, it's not like some games are like, okay, now you're a runner. It's mm-hmm. how long have you been running? Like, how long have you been with Starfleet? How bad has it been for you? How good has it been for you? Yeah. Yeah. You know, where where are you now? And every one of these steps is very digestible. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there's, there's nothing really complicated. It's mostly just, you know, pick a few things off of a small list. They've also got um, random charts that you can roll on, and they're very clear that you don't have to roll. Mm-mm. Even if you do roll, you don't have to abide by that roll. It's just there to kind of help you, like, if you're feeling indecisive, toss a die. Maybe you'll see something interesting come up. Um, Yeah, and at the end of that, basically, you come out with a character. Mm-hmm. Um, You're going to have uh, your attributes total up, your disciplines total up. You're going to have values, talents, and focuses. Yep. Now, we talked about... um focuses a little a little earlier how they're just kind of a word descriptor mm-hmm. um 
and they change your critical rate, basically, if they apply to the situation. Yes. Values and determination is something we haven't mentioned yet. No, they're they're kind of role-playing cues yeah. that lead into mechanics, and I like that. I like that it determination is a currency that sits, I'm not going to say alongside momentum, but it's more like, it feels a lot more like drama in, in what it is. It's what's driving your character, which is why I love the term determination. Yeah, yeah. Momentum is really just for getting stuff done, but determination is very personal to your mm-hmm, character. Mm-hmm. So your your determination is a meta currency in that you have a point of determination. Yep. And uh, alongside that, you have values, which are basically just statements of belief held by your character. Mm-hmm. You know, it may be something like, you know, James T. Kirk has, you know, hates Klingons. Mm-hmm. Use Klingon bastards. You killed my son. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and uh, you know. So if he comes into conflict with Klingons, he may be called upon to spend determination to overcome that, mm-hmm. or he may spend determination. You know, if he's if he's firing all of his phasers at that at that Klingon ship, mm-hmm. maybe he gets to spend determination because he hates them so much to get bonuses on this. Mm-hmm. You know. There's a number of rules that get attached to it that um, where you get like an additional die that automatically mm-hmm. crits or you can re-roll all of your dice in your die pool, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, it. I love the concept that like you, if your determination ties directly in, there's a chance that you just out of sheer determination succeed. Yeah. Even if your dice fail, you Be- succeed. Because you believe so hard in it. You're going to make it work. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, and we see this. We see this time and time again in this, in you know, in in the in the shows and the movies and stuff like that. that yeah. That a character, you know, especially like the medical characters, mm-hmm. were like, "No, I'm not allowing this person to die. I am a doctor. Damn it, mm-hmm. I save lives." Yeah. Okay, spend determination, man, and make that medicine roll. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I mean, it's going to succeed. Yeah. But the question is, was it a great success or was there a cost? Right. Um, and then and. Kind of in reverse, very much like fate, where you can compel an aspect mm-hmm. for to to gain a point of fate. Um, the storyteller can, can compel your values mm-hmm. if they feel like that value. Again, like maybe take the James T. Kirk example yeah. of hates Klingons. If he has to play nice with Klingons all of a sudden, that storyteller might look at him and go, "You know, Kirk, you really hate Klingons. You want a point of determination. You're going to have to act out on them, though." Mm-hmm. If he does, you're not. He's under no obligation to take the bargain. But if he takes that point of determination, he then has to act upon his value. Mm-hmm. He has to show that hate in some material way. Yep. Um. And then they can also kind of be challenged and changed. Mm-hmm. Um. To show character growth. Yeah. Uh. And so you'll you may you may find yourself like erasing. Uh. Uh. You know. If if Kirk has a good experience with Klingons, you know, mm-hmm. he may find himself challenging that value and then at the end of the session, erasing it and replacing it with something better. Yep. You know. Yep. Yep. Um there's the uh uh talents yeah. pool, which I think is great. Because, uh, I mean it they're kind of like edges or feats or or, or like special abilities almost yeah they're they're your they're your typical i get to do a fun little trick rules yeah they're nothing super but they're enough that you can pull that card out every once in a while and, and you get a couple of them too mm-hmm. yeah. um 
And then of course you, you've got the the ones that are like specific to your to your uh, to your species as well. Mm-hmm. So you know mm-hmm. if you're playing a Vulcan, you want to do mind melds. Awesome, that's a talent. Mm-hmm. You know if you're playing a Bajoran and you want to have an orb experience that gives you spiritual enlightenment, that's a talent. Yeah. Uh, traits are kind of interesting because I I feel like traits are sit in the same place as values and in, in that they're a thing that can be manipulated. Yeah. Based upon what it is. Yeah, probably. Um, Because it can both be used as a advantage, often more times than not an advantage, versus a complication. Well, I, I don't know about that. Um, Traits. Okay, so traits are just word descriptors. Yeah. Okay. So if you play a human, mm-hmm. you get the trait human. Yeah. Okay. What does that mean? Well, I don't know until it, until it matters. Right. You know, very much like how focuses are. They're just word descriptors. Yeah. They have no inherent value in and of themselves. But if the fact that I am human would put me at an advantage in a situation, I can say, I have the human trait. Yeah. And now suddenly my difficulty gets lowered for yeah. what I'm trying to do. I'm I'm thinking back to Kirk and McCoy in the prison planet of aliens. Yeah. They were the only humans. Rurapente. Exactly. Like, that was not a trait that they needed there. No. And it, in that case, it would be a disadvantage, and it yeah. would make the things that they're doing harder. Yeah. And so, uh, traits are... Uh, we, we talked a little bit about this also, uh, I think, in a past show, where traits are just kind of like aspects on a scene. Yeah. You know? It feels a lot like fate. Darkness. <laughs> Is a trait? Mm-hmm. Is is darkness good or bad? Depends. Trying yeah. to shoot someone? Bad. Trying to hide? Good. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, I, I, there were a lot of times when looking over pieces like this and, and other aspects, what we'll get to, that it felt very much like there were aspects of fate in this. There's definitely a lot of stuff that, that leans heavily on, on fate's inspiration here. Um, and I don't think it's a bad thing. No, no, it's a good... I, I think I think it took a lot of the best stuff of fate, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, the easier, cleaner parts of it, yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You had some thoughts on the rank and reputation system? Yeah, so the way that they handle... Cause Within the uh, within the universe, the canon of the Federation, rank is important. Mm-hmm. Where you sit within the queue. Now, granted, most times and not when you're sitting there dealing with a captain and or you know first officers, you know uh, they're all kind of listening to each other from a command architecture point. But there's still a point where like I'm in command of this team, mm-hmm. and really that where that shines the most is who's responsible for the actions. Right. And, you know, shit doesn't roll downhill far in the Federation, <laughs> right? It's not no. military. That's the thing. It's like, mm. in the military, uh, and I, I hear this all the time from uh, from people, uh, especially my uh, uh, goddaughter, uh, is that, you know, you make me look bad on my team, I'm gonna get you. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you don't make me look bad because that makes the whole team look bad. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm the one answering to my boss for the things you did. Mm-hmm. So don't do not do that. Like, I'll get you off my team as soon as I can right. then. My boss isn't going to yell at you. He's going to yell at me. Right. But I'm going to yell at, at you. you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're going to have a conversation, and that yep. conversation is going to be raised. So that kind of plays out within these reputation because as you gain rank, you have this just like the threat ratio opens up from you know anything under 20 is fine but as you start rolling against that rep- those reputation because it uses the same d20 mechanics mm-hmm. now it goes down you know as a captain you're 
your chance for failure goes between 16 and 20. Yeah. So now it's 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 bad. So not only do you have to roll under your rank responsibility, mm-hmm. but you have to roll over your difficulty, which is your own reputation. Yeah. I really actually like that because if an ensign screws up, people are like, hey, it's an ensign. But yeah. if a captain screws up, they're like, you are a captain, sir. Yes. You need to do better than that. So, But it uses the same D20 rule. So, again, squint your eyes. You'll see the system again. Yeah. So you're rolling under the responsibility of your rank, mm-hmm. you're rolling above the difficulty, which is your current reputation level, which everyone starts at 10. Yeah. If you succeed at that, you know, and, and your your factors of success are basically determined by how much you screwed up versus how much you succeeded. And I, I like that it kind of totals up, like, good things and bad things kind of wash each other, because then you you don't really have that cascade of, 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 of mess-ups. But you also have that ability to do things where, like, um, you know, take Star Trek Three. you know? Right. You've got Kirk steals the Enterprise, mm-hmm. uh, breaks uh, – doesn't he – doesn't see break someone out of jail or something? No, like, but anyways, he commits several felonies, ending up in stealing the well, Enterprise, he... and then takes it to Genesis, which is a forbidden planet yes. he should not be at. Whole place is classified. Whole mm-hmm. system is classified. Right. Um, but he comes back with Spock. Yeah. So they're like, mm, we should court-martial your ass forever. Yeah. But you did bring back Spock, and you did defeat Khan, so... And and uncovered a few things. And uncovered a few things, so I guess, all right. All yeah. right. So it doesn't actually wash. That's the thing. I was reading through the rules. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. When you have uh, mess-ups, those are what you have to have a number of successes over. So every die that's over your re- your reputation has to, you know, so maybe I, you know, uh, I, I, I broke a Starfleet directive, like, mm-hmm. you know, I interfered with the race, and I also nearly got a, uh, one of my own killed okay. uh, in the process of doing it. So I've got two, basically two marks of demotion on me. On the other hand, I did fix diplomacy with a race and uh, was able to prove that that relics had been stolen. So I've got two good things and two bad things. I have to make at least two successes over my reputation to keep my reputation good. And then for every success after that and and my good parts... I can, or the the advantage I have, I will raise my reputation. So it's possible to keep my rank and just drop my reputation a little bit, making it nobody really interested in me, and at the same time get commendations for what I did. Yeah. Like, like I should demote you, but you did save a, you, you did go above and beyond, so here's your commendation. And you're like, oh. One of my, <laughs> one of my favorite movie lines from the movie uh, uh, Major League. <laughs> nice catch, Hayes. Don't ever do, do it, it again. again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So the only thing, and I'll get to it later, but I I felt like, although in the character section, like the rules section for it, there's three pages. And then in the DM section, there's another three pages that talk about it. Mm -hmm. That's it in the book that talks about it. But they make it very important. they like, this is part of the world. And yet it's set aside as almost like an optional rule. Yeah. And it feels weird. It feels weird, especially for Starfleet and the way that rank and accommodations work. Mm -hmm. But that's... Not how advancement works. It's just reputation. Yeah. It's it's interesting. Yeah. So 
uh, you you'd mentioned you th- you think it was you think it was kind of there to uh, to uh, wield as a truncheon versus murder hobo character. Well, considering that in the player section specifically, they're like, oh yeah, accommodations can happen, but you could also be thrown in the brig or demoted or worse, <laughs> and you're like. There's a lot of negative statements we here. We will court martial your ass, soldier. <laughs> but but that's the thing is that it, it was there was kind of a lean to the way that things were being discussed. Yeah, of like, yeah. here's how you'd handle things. Here's the responsibility you have to deal with. Here's how you get knocked down. Here's what happens. And you're like, are you talking about murder hobos without talking about murder hobos? Yeah, yeah. Tell us tell us you've dealt with murder hobos without telling us you've dealt with murder hobos. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So. Uh, the section that I really liked in this, though, is where they start getting into ships. Yes. Um, and I think it, it opens with a quote by Gene Roddenberry talking about how the Enterprise is actually the hero of the story. Yes. Um, and it kind of goes from there. We've we've discussed earlier, uh, or, or in in previous shows, mm-hmm. about how when you have a ship, especially in like a spacefaring game like yeah, this, like Firefly, that it's yeah. kind of an extra crew member it's mm-hmm. it's it in and of itself is an extra member of the party um because it has its own personality it has its own place you know and you care about it it gets you from place to place you know um and the ship as a character i think is is more strongly expressed i think in this system than i think i've ever seen it before um right down to how you create the the, the ship because it goes through its own almost like its own life path system which i thought was absolutely brilliant you start off with a space frame, okay, mm-hmm. which is basically just the chassis, okay? You're you're going to be a galaxy class starship. Yeah. Okay? Cool. Galaxy class is what the what the Enterprise is. Yep. But this is your galaxy class. This isn't the Enterprise. Sure. Okay. Not every ship is fitted out the same way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. They all have a sort of base level of capability, but you then choose a mission profile. Yes. Okay, which is something like: Are you a diplomatic vessel? Mm-hmm. Are you a deep sea or, or deep sea a, 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 a deep space exploration vessel? Mm-hmm. Are you a quick response um, emergency vessel? Mm-hmm. Are you a warship? Yeah. You know. So you choose the mission profile, and that kind of tilts what statistics your space frame then gets. Think of it kind of like applying a species to your character. Sure. You know. Um, and then you go through refits and this is the one that I thought was especially brilliant because you can see this play out specifically in the shows. Mm -hmm. Okay. So refits basically is how every ship out there has undergone some work. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe that was just because you got in a big fight with the Borg or something like that and you got your left nacelle blown off so now you had to replace it and it's brand spanking new shiny one you can't have two mismatched nacelles so now you got the upgraded nacelles that came out last year (laughs) yeah um or maybe it's just because you've got a chief engineer who's constantly tinkering with the ship trying to eke an extra percentage out of the warp core yeah or you've been traveling so far that all of your repairs have been done at alien installations. Yeah, maybe you've integrated a little bit of Cardassian technology or Romulan technology or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. Who knows? Mm-hmm. It's your ship. There's a billion different things that could happen, but that's what these refits sort of sort of go through. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very much like a life path for your ship. Yeah. You look at when the space frame was issued, mm-hmm. and then you look at what date the game is taking place in, and per and I, I cannot remember how what the actual increment is but per increment of time between when your space frame was issued and when the when the the, the game takes place 
you get a certain number of, of refits. And you just pick up little bonuses to your to your attributes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to your sensors, to your which, engines and stuff like that. Which is neat because then it follows a lot of the other like ship faring game rules where the ship assists you. Mm-hmm. Like it's a bonus on top of your rolls, just like another character. And yeah. I like that. I like that. Yeah, yeah. If if you're on your ship and you're doing stuff, you're all the ship always tries to assist mm-hmm. with its own statistics. Yep. And that's just, it's just going to make its own roll. Again, it's rolling a d20 using its own attributes, mm-hmm. using the exact same d20 rules that you guys are. Mm-hmm. And if it gets a success, it lends to yours. Yep. Now, I also see how you could use that in a different way when, like, you have those you have those episodes, and I love using the term, the idea of using it as an episode, where the ship is not under your control. Mm-hmm. Like, a virus is going through it. Some alien race is actually, you know, binary, and they've hacked the main computer. And so now all of those statistics are an NPC working against you. Mm-hmm. You know, and you've got to save the save it from the uh, alien race. Oh, that'd be fun. Mm-hmm. That'd be fun, yeah. But it, but it makes it plausible. It makes it yeah. easy to do within the rule set, too. And and the, 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 the ship as a character analogy doesn't stop there because Mm-mm. then you start getting into the combat rules mm-hmm. and the combat rules are almost an exact mirror of the personal combat rules yeah on a ship scale yeah so uh with that we we didn't really get big, too big into the combat we're we're gonna run late with this show already without yeah. getting into the intricacies grab the quick start rules you'll see it they're all in there they're all in there um but you've got uh stress basically which is uh you think of that like um SDC or fatigue, if you're familiar yeah. with that, it's the amount of amount of sort of damage or stress that you can be Wounds put under before versus, it yeah. actually starts hurting you. Mm-hmm. And then you've got resistance, which is basically kind of like an armor sort of thing before mm-hmm. you can before you take an injury. Yes. And once you are injured, that's your sort of down state. Yes. You know, um, it starts off as non-lethal, then goes lethal, then yep. sorry, buddy. Yeah, it's a quick spiral. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the quick and dirty of it. All mm-hmm. right. St- First stress reduced by re- by re- your 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 resistance kind of counts as an armor, but once you've built, gone through that stress and you've bypassed the resistance, then you start taking injuries and that's bad. Yep. Okay, so your ships have shields mm-hmm. which act as stress. Mm-hmm. Their hull, depending on how big the ship is, there's a size factor mm-hmm. to it that acts as its resistance. Mm-hmm. So obviously, it's easier to blow up a shuttlecraft than it is a Borg cube, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a one versus a six. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, once you start getting down into those injuries, you start talking about hull breaches and yep. systems going offline and whatnot. And there's sort of rules for that. But at its core, though, it does the exact same thing. Yep. And the ship weapons, like the phasers and the photon torpedoes, have the same sort of profiles as a phaser or a batleth does, mm-hmm. where they're going to do a certain number of challenge dice worth of it. They're going to have extra attributes on them, like vicious or disruptive. Mm-hmm. Or a, you know AOE mm-hmm. that happen when those special effects pop up on the challenge dice. Yep. Very recognizable. Yep. From one to the other. Yep. Where it kind of differs from a lot of other ship combat systems, though, that I've seen in the past, is a lot of other ship combat systems where they they have that whole like, well, the PCs take up their positions as you know on on the ship, and the gunner can fire the guns, and the the helmsman can move the ship. Right. And generally, those systems are very watered down, okay? Mm-hmm. The helms can, the helmsman can fire the guns. Cool. 
What does that look like? Well, they use this attribute to fire. That's all I can do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because everybody else is always doing other things. So when we get into ship combat, my role as a PC is just go, roll. Yeah. Oh, I hit him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no choices in right. there. All right. So first off, we're already assumed to be a crew of a ship, which I think works in our benefit because we're not like... I'm the party's rogue, but now I've suddenly been shoehorned into being a cannoneer. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm already the tactical officer on the ship. Right. <laughs> so firing the ship's phasers is literally what I'm here to do. Right. I work security when we're not firing phasers at things, but the phasers are my job. Yep. yep. You know? So I think there's much less of a jarring sort of disconnect between we're an adventuring party, but now suddenly we're doing ship stuff when we're already a ship's crew. Yeah. Um, but there's so many options for cool things you can do. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a very deep system Mm -hmm. with pages full of options. Now I will say that's both a blessing and a curse. Yes. Because you need to know those options. (laughs) Yes. Yes. But like you said, like Savage World is once you understand the basics of how the system rolls, you can just roll with it. You don't have to go digging through rule sets to find something. Exactly. Literally, if someone looks at you and says, hey, I'm an engineer, you know, we're we're, we're in deep shit. Can I techno-babble something in engineering to give us more power to the shields and, and, and you know, and create an, opera, uh, create an advantage for us? Sounds great. Rolls, roll reason plus engineering. Yeah. Yeah, that that's that's the conversation right there. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna def- I'm gonna uh, route more power from the, through the EPS conduits to the plasma converters to try to supercharge the warp core. Sure, I don't know what any of that means, but it sounds yeah. like a reason plus engineering role. Yeah, difficulty three since you're under fire. Yeah, or or likewise, hey, could we just I don't know tractor beam an asteroid and then let it go? Yeah. Yes. 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 You yes. Can. You can. <laughs> How would you like to do that? And keeping in mind too that this is not a uh, this is not a like heavily tactical system. This is a heavily narrative system. Yeah. So we're not trying to like blow pieces off of a table in a, in a board game. Okay. Right. This is a narrative system. So we're going to be using these tools in a very narrative way. Again, a lot of ship, a lot of fights aren't going to be to the death. No, you might you might shove a a, a a a photon torpedo up the tailpipe of that Romulan warbird, and they're gonna hightail it out of there to the neutral zone. Yeah, you know, just as much as you might fire a for, a photon torpedo in a spread at low yield to reveal some of those guys so that sure. they know better than what they're doing. Sure, you know, that sounds like a Star Trek thing to do. Yep, yep. You know, I love it. Yeah, I love but, it. But the whole point of it is, is that the other part of that, and and I was kind of leading into, steps into the DM section where one of the big things they say in this is don't pigeonhole the right way. Yeah. There isn't a right way. Let your players come up with 
crazy ideas to solve a problem. And there are rules in there for, like, on the personal level, for scientific discovery, for research and development and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. There is rules in the ship section for things like stealth and sensor jamming. Yeah. uh, And other, like, clever ways, like, we're going to slink into the nebula and lose them because it's going to jam their sensors. But, sir, we'll also be blind. That's just the chance we'll have to take. Right. And some But there's rules for that. There are literally rules for that that help you as a storyteller make step away from the this is the only way that it works right you can literally say that you know that this skill is the right way to do it but you could use this skill or this skill to i don't know think outside the box i i always love to give my players an option when i'm asking for a skill roll mm-hmm. you'll notice i do that in my savage world yeah. game where oh, yeah. i'm like i want you to roll a cult or research yeah you know Whichever, because because I figure there's more than one way to skin a cat, you know. Right. Um. And and I I, I love that this game encourages your storyteller to kind of do that, of just but, throw some stuff out there. But one of the things that it does in that sense is it also sets that by you looking at it that way, you're also saying that other thing is either a little more difficult, will take a little longer, mm-hmm. or will cause a complication. Sure. And that's one of the things that's key about this game is that it is very keen on telling the storyteller how to do the equations and make it very numbers directed so that the dice make the difference. The players are, should never feel that they're in an adversarial relationship with the storyteller. Even though you're making the same roles, using threat and things like that to complicate them as much as they're using momentum to succeed on their end, the system is trying to tell you, step away from making choices that you think are adversarial. These are just the way the rules are rolling, right? You know the determination that the enemy has. Mm-hmm. It's written on your sheet right there. You mm-hmm. may you, you know that they will fight at any cost. That's Victory what, is life. Jemadar. Right. right. Victory yep. is life. So no matter how much diplomacy the other person's using, you know that the difficulty threat your difficulty on that is going to be like a 4. Yeah. Like, they're not going to diplomatically do it. So, because of that, you're not playing against the players. You're putting the cards out there. And, in fact, they encourage you to say, hey, before the roll, let them know the consequences of their actions. Mm -hmm. Because we're not working on stressful, last-minute, snap decisions that could cause a problem. It's assumed that the players know the risks going in as they're making these decisions, that they have time to think about it. Yeah. That they are trained, that they've gone through simulations, that they've worked yeah, through they've, things. They've gone through Starfleet Academy. Exactly. They're, they are they are officers yeah. of for the Federation. Yeah. So in many cases, they're already making their best educated decision. The real question is, did it work out? Mm-hmm. And in the direction that they were hoping, knowing the consequences and risks that were involved. That's why almost every single time there's not a I don't know what this is gonna do. That that doesn't come up in conversation. It, it, and and the thing is, it doesn't it doesn't in the show either. Yeah, that's like, what I'm saying. Yeah, you know, you you'll 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 have like you know, oh, we could do- duck into the nebula, and no one goes, okay, what would happen if we went into the nebula? God, I don't know. Oh, it's a huge mystery. No, your science officer immediately turns around and goes, uh, sir, that that uh, there's a lot of theta wave radiation in that nebula. Uh, which is going to scramble our sensors in a very specific way. We're not going to be able to do X, Y, and Z. Right. 
but I also know the capabilities of the alien ship, and they're also not going to be able to do X, Y, and Z. We'll both be blind floating through, yeah. Here are the consequences of that action that I know off the top of my head. Right. Exactly. And that's that's one of the key differences when dealing with other fantasy games where you're like, you don't know what's behind that door, or you don't know what's going to happen when you pick this lock. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. You do. You're a professional. You do. You're a you, you've done the math. Yeah. Right. So I think that's one of the a feeling that has to change with this. Mm -hmm. um, but part of that is understanding you're dealing with professionals who are all working in the same professional line with each other. And there's a trust level between all of them. It's a level. It doesn't mean everyone trusts everyone or has that same level of respect. But it does mean that it makes it that because of that narrowing, your bonds between character are already somewhat set. Your bonds with the ship are already set. You don't have to worry about that kind of math going into it. It's something you can build on, but that's not the story, right? The story is happening actively. We don't have to enforce that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that that opens up then is the simplicity of the fate system add-on, that idea of of having scenes and encounters that have traits. So like if we're going into a, a situation that's dicey, we've got a runabout that's lost. That's mm -hmm. in a nebula. Like we, it went into the nebula. We lost signal to it. And there's been a, um, there's a, a, a weak uh, SOS signal that's coming off of it, but it's unidentifiable because it comes and goes. Like we don't know, we can't pinpoint it. We know it's in the system, but we can't pinpoint it. Right. So, the question then comes in is is that you've got the complication of the nebula, which causes sensor problems. Mm -hmm. That's a known thing. That goes on the table. Yep. Right? That's obviously a trait of that nebula. Another thing you might learn is it also has, I don't know, explosive gas in it. Right? Yeah. So, like, you can't go in there and start shooting, nor can you have certain aspects of shield going on. Right. So it affects your shield and your hull. We can't move above quarter impulse. Exactly. It causes Ooh, too much static yeah. across the uh, uh -huh. across the, the, the hull, right? So things like that then create traits that are obvious, that sit within the framework of that scene. Um, and that can also make it very easy to set up uh, what you're doing. And they lay this all out, and I love it. They, they put in there, you define your situation, your location, the personnel involved, the equipment involved, advantages and complications that the traits that the traits have. The players know that going in. Yep. That is laid out before them so that then the story can evolve from that point. And that is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It is really fantastic. I urge people if you want to see an interesting and different way to do adventure design go grab one of the free PDF adventures from this and mm -hmm. read it. They're fantastic. They're well-written because they're written as a as many adventures should be, not a step-by-step. -step. Yeah. But here are the determinations of the people involved. Here are, Here's the situation that everyone is in. This is what everyone knows. Mm -hmm. Let's do this thing. Yeah. And that's really, really great because in any situation, you're basically looking at, are the players trying to achieve something? Meaning, are they resisting a hazard? Are they trying to accept something? Um, and because of that, they have to be informed of those consequences. Because, and I, I love this. This is one of my favorite quotes out of the books about this, is that uh, in regards to performing tasks and why that's important is, failure is not a matter of inability, but rather the insufficient time 
appropriate tools or some manner of obstacle or interruption. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's the truth. Yeah. You're not going to screw up because you, because you didn't know how to pick a lock. Right. 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 Kind of a thing. And I love that. Yeah. And it, it leans into a different mind frame as a storyteller. It takes you away from, I'm trying to stop you to what happened to, to stop this, Mm -hmm. to cause this failing forward kind of mentality. Um, so, uh, we already talked about the complications, and it, it goes into very good detail about that and some of the ranges of complications that can exist. Yep, yep. Um, and that you don't have to spend. Your com- you don't have to come up with those complications immediately. Yeah, they buy, can happen buy, later. Buy them as threat. Make, make them happen later. Yeah. yeah. And th- there's some really good examples that they throw out there uh, of, of situations where it's like, okay, well, you don't know what the complication is for this, but when that Romulan bo- warbird comes around, the complication is they made it behind you. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Like, so front batteries don't work at all. You're 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 in a running state. Yes. Like when so, whatever you're doing. So sometimes you just grin at them and say, "Yes, there was a complication." Yeah. You you, you didn't buy it as threat. No. No. What was the complication? You'll see. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and that way you can you can do that. But one of the things that they talk about is when, uh, when a task goes to zero. Mm-hmm. Meaning, basically, it's 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 an instant success for the player. The players can still roll on that to build momentum, to build momentum, to yeah. make any scene meaningful. Yeah, and I I like that. I like that players can do that because that allows you to then role play within a within something that should be a menial task. Like, hey, we need to research. You know, it's like, uh, uh can we get some research on the this alien race because we don't understand why? You know, what level of diplomacy? Why they're not following any of our our, our Federation diplomacy? Let me do some research on them and I'll see what we have in our archives. Mm-hmm. Can I? You know, well, okay, I can tell you that. Can I roll on that? Yeah, go for it. Sweet, I got like four successes. Awesome, that's a lot of momentum. Let's let's see what you can. You know, how do you want to spend that? I kind of want to work with. Lieutenant Kira on this. Okay. I want to show off in front of her. <laughs> okay. So you want to do a social role? Yeah, maybe. Okay. And you can do the kind of stories that Laura Dex has. Yeah. You know, where whatever your task is, is also pushing story momentum in a different direction. Honestly, any of the old Trek. Yeah. Any bet when you had 26 episode seasons, you know, mm-hmm. that was one of those big things that like I really got from watching Deep Space Nine again is that we don't we don't have the 26 episode season anymore. We have like 10 and 12 episode seasons where we don't have enough time to let characters just breathe and goof off and no. socialize and play darts in Quark's bar. Yeah. You know, yeah. or 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 go do their little their little uh you know World War Two fighter plane simulations in the in the hollow suites mm-hmm. and whatnot. You know, we don't we don't have any of that. No, we don't have Jadzia playing Tonga with the Ferengi. No, we have forty five minutes straight through of a of a, get a, in. of a of a of a movie effectively. Yeah, to get in, do a thing, and get out. Right. And and maybe have a little character interaction and a whole lot of drama. Yeah. So it's it's good it's good to have those little scenes in there where you've got like a zero level task, just building some momentum and just build some character along with it. You know. So one of the other sections that they threw in here was the final frontier, mm-hmm. and it's kind of just this this culmination of here's the stuff that we that we're not making heavy rules for, but yeah. we want to show you you can do like. 
dealing with aliens and and space and techno babble of the universe. Like, what wh- what does all this really mean? Like, mm-hmm. like how do we handle this? And they they discuss it very well. They go into the scientific method on like how to deal with scientific method challenges, where it's okay. the The problem isn't a a obstacle or a person or a diplomacy. It's we have to, we have a virus. How do you make an adventure about a virus that isn't a direct threat, right? Mm-hmm. How do you make that cool? How do how does your players know to move around that? Well, you you, you go through, observe, hypothesize, theorize, act, yeah, right, and you can do that within the game, and it still fits all of the kind of task related. Uh, you discuss the um, the upgrades. They go into a brief kind of not necessarily history, but engineering of warp cores, and get into a shit ton of techno babble yeah. about how they function and what you can do with them. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting is the whole thing is a section to talk to you about thinking outside the box mm-hmm. and helping your players think outside the box. And I love that. Yeah. You can, yeah. It, it brings the whole idea of just bounce it off the deflector shield. Let's figure out what's going on here. Right, right, right. right There's right. always a solution. They, right. They, 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 actually, they actually use the term uh, in their Trekno babble. Yes. Yes. Uh, where it's just it's just saying science words. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. Wh- you said a bunch of Trekno babble. What is the effect you're looking for? Yeah. I, w- I want more power to the, more, more power to the weapons. Cool. Let's All do right. that thing. <laughs> yep. So the other thing that I thought was unique, and we both kind of, see this as a as a huge advantage through different lenses is supporting characters yeah i wanted to talk to you about this because this is something we saw in dune yes originally mm-hmm. and i thought it was just a dune thing nope okay but then we come here to star trek adventures and they they're like well yeah maybe you know the ship's doctor isn't going to go on the away team diplomacy mission why would he he's the doctor so you should play a alternate character during those times. Mm-hmm. You should play a supporting character. Yeah. And you're like, wait a minute. Wait. So just have like a stack of NPCs sitting next to me? Well, no. They're player characters. They're just bit characters that you're mm-hmm. playing when you're not playing your main character. Yep. But you see this all the time in, in the TV shows and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You've got written down here the O'Brien and Wayun effect. Yes. Where you have a character who is meant for an episode or two suddenly become a main character because maybe the away mission kind of made you like this character and maybe the other players want that character around too so they keep making cameos right i love that idea i mean you do it a little bit within our game Mm -hmm. but like if we were in control of those other characters when our other characters were busy yeah like, if there was just a mage thing going on, and now all the fighters have to play mage characters. Right. I, I hand you Mirabelle. I yeah, hand yeah. someone else you, yep. Tulsi, you know? Yeah. yeah. But but I think having that I have a character, I don't necessarily have Mirabelle, but maybe I have Alexi, right? Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's a mage that I can play. Sure. But the thing is, it's also the 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 level of uh, the leveling in this game is so simplistic that it really is mostly based on the dice. There is there are, there is obviously advancement, but the point is that, that it is it is relatively flat. It is not a high advancement game. That's not what this was designed for. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the advancement section is I want to say like what a page and a half. Yeah, and it's it's very just like oh yeah, if you have a milestone, um, and then there's also a mechanic where people basically vote on who was the MPV uh, 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 MVP for the day. Yeah, which totally feels like Mouse Guard. <laughs> like 100%. It, it really does. Yeah, I was looking at the situation, looking at that, and I was saying. This feels like Mouse Guard and 7C First Edition, where it was like, hey, did your plot come around? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
take a point. It, you know, it, did feels, this... it feels very much to me like the, the rules are that you're already a very capable Starfleet officer, yeah. and your your advancement is not going to be a increase in personal power. It's going to be maybe an increase in rank, which mm-hmm. will come with privilege mm-hmm. and possibly an extra talent or something like that attached yep. to it because your rank actually has a talent attached to it. Sure. Um, but – that's about it. Yeah. Like, you might look at, okay, congratulations, Ensign, you're now a lieutenant junior grade. Yeah. Like, Great. cool. Yeah. Or or even, a, like, realistically, maybe your position changes. Like, oh, you've been moved off of the Assessor. You are now going to be at Starbase 2715. Mm-hmm. Lieutenant. Lieutenant. And you're like, and, you're yeah. like oh, and now you get to pick a crew. So now you, you, get to, you, you might, you know, pick some people to go with you, right? And ask them to be, you know, put underneath your command, and you might have some new people too. So, one of the things the game does lean into is like, is this a, is this episode highlighting a certain character? Great. That doesn't mean other characters can't have known them. These new side characters, mm-hmm. and and that's fantastic. There's nothing about that, that 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 looks that I think is bad. I think it's great. I I wish more game systems that had flat situations like this would lean into these rules. Yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. Um. But I will say, as a whole, the DM section is good. It teaches you how to really run the game in a lot of detail. Yeah. Like, it goes through all of the aspects that you, you may have to do in it and presents them in a in a, in a bite-sized way, mm-hmm. but wrapped with tons of examples, which is great. Um, but it leans heavily into reminding you that this is a game about exploration and problem-solving and people, mm-hmm. not about run and gun and combat and tactics yep like don't go in that direction so all right so you want to do our closing thoughts i think i think we have to yeah because <laughs> we have questions after this we do have questions after this we're already running late like we do on system spotlight night every single time all right so what do we think it does well here um personally i think it handles a very big ip we're talking several tv series with 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 you know seven seasons of each under their belt and a multitude of animated series and movies and all that jazz like you said 800 and some yeah uh 860 some uh, hours of 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 uh content yeah currently and I, it, <laughs> and I think it handles it in an impressively detailed yet playable way yeah, I mean, uh, and there's, you could very easily make the mistake of picking out, picking little things to make it, make it very detailed, make mm-hmm. each race exceptionally detailed. And this does some broad strokes to say, effectively, it's just an advantage. And this is just a disadvantage, but doesn't state that openly. Yeah. It's under situation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, um and I, and I think it sits at a nice intersection of crunch and flexibility. Yeah. You know, uh, I think that there, there is some detail to the rules, but I think it always comes with a sense of, yeah, these are just vibes. Yeah. Um, you know, do do what feels right with the rules, but here's your general problem-solving mechanic, and you should use those to to make the vibes, you know, happen. Yeah, and you know? Mephidius knows what they were doing with this. They did a great job of building the book to feel like Star Trek. Short of that physical book being a data pad. Yeah. They did a fine job of putting in the art and mixing art with example. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love when art and example. For me, reading through the book was still a lot of a, a lot of block text, but they did a great job with the layout to make it still legible for someone like me where my eyes glaze over and over too much text. Yes. yes. So 
uh, good use of art, good use of color, good use of space. Uh, the PDF is is well designed mm-hmm. as well. So um, also, I think the 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 Modifius captured the tone of Star Trek very well. Yes, uh, in in not only the system but how the rules are written and how the rules are encouraged to be used. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. They understand that Star Trek is a story about a progressive future where we seek diplomacy and exploration mm-hmm. and nonviolent resolutions rather than just being like we've got phasers, let's run and gun, you know. Yeah. Or we're indestructible and can't be stopped because we're the Federation, you know. Right, exactly. I mean, there is a scientific innovation, innovative system yeah. for, for, for Pete's sake in there, you know. And I will say that going off of that, there's a lot of detail in this book about Star Trek. But it's not so much that you're, that it's it's the Cimmerillion of Star Trek in, a, in, in you know, 200 pages. Right. Right, it's enough information to get you to where it leaves you in the book from the Federation's perspective, but gives you all the other little details of, of where, you know, what does the universe look like? Mm-hmm. What are, wh- what does a nebula look like? If you're not at a, you know, a, a uh, you know, uh, astrometrics degreed person who understands what a quasar is and what, uh, you know, what, what an Oort cloud is and, you know, the if you difference. Clocked, if you haven't clocked triple digits, uh, uh, triple digit uh, hours in uh, Elite Dangerous. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. Like I have. <laughs> you know, what, what is, what is an anomaly, anomaly and what does it look like in space? Right. Versus like being involved in one, mm-hmm. you know, and, and how much can you, you bend races and things like that to make new aliens it's all there. Like, it helps you heavily. The better part of that is is that it's also backed by a craptastic tum- number of resources. Yeah. Like, if you think you want to run something from a specific episode in certain race in Star Trek, you'll find it. It's yep. out there. Yep. There's probably even a Let's Play that includes it, which there are tons of Let's we Plays. We spent a good 20 minutes just scrolling through Modifius's PDF selection for this for this game specifically. Not even the PDF selection, but the additional stuff that other people have also generated yep. that they link to happily. There is, there is, I crap you not, a, uh, a character pack for the Star Trek animated series. Not Lower Decks. Yes. The Star Trek animated series based on the original series yes. cast. Yes. There is a mission pack for that. Yes. 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 So, like, literally anything you want resource-wise from Star Trek, it is out there. Yeah. Uh, my final thought is I think the DM section is good. I think it's a little broken up from what we're like what we normally consider but i think this is becoming more of a a common where they break out what the dm really needs to be using to run the game how they should see themselves present to the players versus here are the dm side of the rules like that's broken out because there's no reason why the players can't see that like we used to have a section of like don't read after this because these are secrets. There are no secrets. There's no secrets. There's no secrets. It's just like stop here because you're a player. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like if you don't want to read more, just don't read more. You, you you're don't good. have to read any of yeah, this. Stuff. You're good. You've already read a lot. Yeah, yeah. Thank you here. for getting to this point. <laughs> exactly. So. You can rest now, storytellers. We're sorry. That being said, the rule book. Is dense. You you could hurt somebody with that book. Oh my god! As an avid Trekkie, okay, I gave my credentials coming into this show, man. Uh, I've been I've been living, eating, sleeping, breathing Star Trek on the on, on the way in here, and man, I found this book daunting to get through. 
There is so many little sidebars with lore snippets and artwork and various other little embellishments that kind of, like I said, I used the word clutter earlier, you know? And as I am talking about the, the bad parts of the, the bad aspects of this, I will say that, you know, it, it is a little cluttered. It's all of it's on topic. All of it lends to learning about Star Trek and mm -hmm. the universe there. Mm -hmm. But man, it may also have contributed to quite a bit of the page count of a 363-page book. I, I agree. I, I'm going to straight up say I agree, this. I agree. I agree. The average Star Trek, like the mean average Star Trek watcher, mm -hmm. you know, of our age and older, may have a hard time holding that book in their hands for an extended period of time. It is that thick. Yeah. It's got two C's. <laughs> but... <laughs> Also within that is an unbelievable amount of detail and crunch. Like reading through the rules, you are reading effectively the same rule rule set that that two d twenty challenge rating success in different formats throughout the book in different ways, and that oh, it feels like the game is the the book is just full of crunch, mm -hmm. like all these rules that you just have to remember all these little details and things for. Like, I feel like the DM screen would be ridiculous. Probably, yeah. And not because it needs a bunch of charts, but because the flow chart for do this, add these, subtract these, based on these, creates these, for this... End result is this complication advantage. Like it's going to just be this long flow chart, mm -hmm. but that flow chart now has to include every variant for all the little crunch and the name changes. Yeah. Yeah. That go through that process, whether you're doing it as combat or doing it as a task or doing it as a scientific endeavor or doing it as reputation or doing it as social. <laughs> I, I, I think, I think this is definitely going to be one of those systems where, like, once you start running it, mm -hmm. once you run it a couple times, you're going to be like, okay, I got okay, this. I get it now, mm -hmm. you know, and I it'll just roll off the tongue. And then you pick a new system, like the scientific discovery system, and someone's going to be like, I want to do a scientific discovery, and you're going to stumble with that once or twice, and you're going to be like, okay, I got it now. Mm -hmm. And you're going to slowly pick up all the game systems until they're just fluid, kind of like they are with, with Savage Worlds. Yeah, with very us now, much you so, know? very much so. Um, but man, yeah, the, the, the trek to get there, pardon the pun. I is... will I will flat out say the Session Zero. Or, or, sorry, Session One, your Melk Run. Yeah. Choosing what you do for a Melk Run has to depend on your players. You can't just say the Melk Run incorporates all the rules. No. 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 You're in trouble. No, you if you pick think some that you're very in... basic encounters, and you go with that. Yep, yep. You you give them some challenges. Maybe you give them like a test firing range to shoot at. You know, Kobayashi Maru them. Whatever, mm -hmm. right? Whatever you need to get them through basic two D twenty challenge rating kind of crap. We're, we're gonna go to an outpost. We're gonna be resupplying them. Oh, Romulan Warbird shows up. They go, grr, We don't like the Federation. We go pew pew. They go, oh, you're right. Bye. <laughs> yeah. And that's the milk run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know yeah exactly exactly and the thing that i that got me was that like and i'm sure there's other places but the reputation system it felt like it was an afterthought because it's not even on the character sheets yeah that's when it's not on the character that's yeah like, come on guys I get I get come you. on 
I get you. I didn't even look at like the 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 advanced character sheets that you find online, but I'm willing to bet that's the case too because it's not in there. They don't even discuss it in the quick start. And then the character sheets in the book don't have reputation listed anywhere on there. Your rank is literally a statement. But there's no reputation. It's it's it feels awkward. It feels awkward. Yep. Yep, there it is. I'm 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 looking at the book open right now and I'm yeah. just looking just to double check to make sure neither of us missed it. And, and yep, there is no space for reputation on here. There's your whole character creation. Yeah. Uh, there's you know species, rank, environment, upbringing, assignments. Mm-hmm. I mean, arguably you could maybe put your rank, put your reputation in your in parentheses after your rank or something like that. But, it's, but there's no indication you should. Correct. Right. Yeah. And that's that's the part that always bugs me is is that if you can't see it on the sheet, then it's not important. Yeah. It's not something I need to know. Yep. So, um, and then that puts it right back square in the hands of the DM of going, okay, well, what do I have to keep track of? Right. And it right. shouldn't be that. Yep. So, um, all right, let's get to questions. And then I got one question at the end for you that didn't get asked. Yeah, sure. So. All right. Uh, so Nevam asks, uh, does the game help you create a Star Trek-like adventure? Without a doubt. I, very much. Very Without much. a doubt. They, they absolutely understood the assignment. Yeah. And 100%, I will say this, don't. Go grab one. Right, there are so there are so many out there. If you want to play as Klingons, there's a bunch out there too. Created by the same people who wrote the damn book, created yes. a ton of crap. It's free. It's available. Go steal. Go, not steal it. Go go take it. They want you to take it. They yeah. want you to find. There, there's a bunch of it. a bunch of it is free. Yeah, a bunch and most of, of the most of those PDFs have five adventures or more in them. Yes. Uh, I'm I'm when I when I run this game for you guys after my Elder Scrolls game is done, I'm almost certainly going to just be grabbing a nice big adventure that's like eight sessions long or something mm-hmm. like that and just running that. So does the book teach you? Yes. Should you go and play other adventures that are already available? One hundred percent. Yes. Because you have to understand what they're trying to present. Yep. It is not a do this, then this, then this type of adventure. Yep. It is motivations and direction. Uh, how does the game system? Uh, how's this game system been changed to fit the Star Trek uni- universe? Um, I don't think it's been changed really. Uh, I, I mean, I, the, the core of Modiphius's D twenty system is there, and it is fully in effect. Um, I will the say the momentum and threat system is there. Like it feels like you can pretty much if you've played Dune, I think you can do this. I think that the ship. As a character, yeah, as 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 kind of a floating table character, a la um, kids on bikes. Yes, kind kind of, not exactly, but kind of. Yeah, yeah, in, um, in that spirit, at least in yeah. that spirit. Um, I think that was a a little bit of a change. And then the second is um the more direct discussion about supporting cast. Yes, I think I think if. Dune had had the same type of discussion. They did it, but they did it differently, and it wasn't as obvious. Yeah, Dune. Dune felt like it was like okay, so like you know, you you call up an espionage contact you have on a different planet, and they say they can get you the information, but it's it you know it it may be costly, and you you can influence that remotely, sure, or you can go do that mission, right? Whereas this is just like no no no, your character is literally working in engineering right now, while the rest of this team is going to the Starbase. So go be someone going to the starbase. Yeah, don't, don't sit out the the game because there's no reason for the chief engineer to be off the ship right now. Yeah, and go be someone who can be off the ship. And by the way, when you have to do the shippy things, you're your character. Mm-hmm. Cool. 
Yeah. But you can be in that scene, doing things in that scene. Exactly. Why not, right? And who knows? Maybe Ensign Redshirt then gains a personality. Maybe he becomes a running character, you know? Do you even know my first name? Do you even know? <laughs> I love that. Um, how much of Star Trek do you need to dive into this game? None. The book helps you enough. Okay. I'm, I'm going to say this. I'm going to put this one right up on the shelf. For, for the purpose of this question, I'm putting this one on the shelf right next to Dresden Files. Do you have to have read the Dresden Files books to play Dresden Accelerated? No. Should you to understand a single word of what's being said? Probably, yeah. There is so much information presented in this book. It is it is presented. So the answer, with all due technicality, is no. But will it help to have engaged at least partially with a TV series, at least one TV series, or at least one movie to understand what Star Trek is and what Star Trek is about, absolutely. You would not enjoy it. I think if you would you get didn't know. very overwhelmed, and I don't think you would understand what Star Trek really is. And what Star Trek really is, and I want to state this explicitly, is not a story about space future people. No. It is a story about us here and now using space people as a metaphor. It tells a story about a future we want to reach for. Yes. But with the problems of today. With the problems of today. Exactly. Yep. And that, tell that those is stories. what a good Star Trek story is. Yep. I agree. I agree. I agree. Uh, Lucid asks, uh, how flexible is the system for subgenres, like running a game as survival horror or dungeon crawl or high RP with diplomacy and interplanetary politics? Well, I think it's very friendly to high RP with diplomacy and interplanetary politics. It's got a lot of rules and, and, and subsystems in there to, that, that lend towards that. Um, but it's as a, far as like survival horror or dungeon crawl goes, I would say no. I would say I would say the game is naturally a heroic fail forward game. Yeah. So anything that falls in that category, I think you could do it. I mean, you could do investigative. You could definitely do mystery. You could definitely do. Um, you could do some horror, but it would be discovery horror. Um, you could do tragic war, yeah. But I mean, the but again, the context like you're stating is we're not trying to tell a far future story here, right? Yeah. We're trying to talk about today. So if the argument is, and and I'll straight up pull it, is that your the diplomacy problem is that we have a race that is mathematically saying that you know, uh, uh, the, the species needs to be non-binary and you find a, you find a cultural outpost of this that was lost. That is not, mm -hmm. that is, that is 100% binary and that they want to eradicate it because it's an imperfection in their society. Yeah. That's your story. And you find out like, this is a grim, dark tale of what's going on there and how are you handling that? Mm -hmm. Like you have diplomatic relations with this giant race of, of binary people and that's okay. And then you find out they're going to eradicate their own. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's against Federation policy. Like, well, they're not part of the Federation. They're your people. No, they're not. Mm -hmm. They're, they're just aliens. Yeah. And now, now you have to deal with that situation. So I think, I think in that sense, it truly depends, even if you're going into the subgenre, how you're telling the story. 
and if it fits within a heroic fail-forward manner, you can make it work. Yeah, I agree. But I agree. I, I, agree. I, I don't think horror, I, I, like Cthulian horror or dungeon crawl is going to work. Yeah, there, there's there's much better systems for it than that. Yeah. Much yeah. better systems. You should look elsewhere. So my question, which we often get, but yeah. we didn't get this time, was would you say this is good for a first-time storyteller or a first-time player oh. to RPGs? This is a lot. <laughs> um, first up, storyteller. I, I mean, maybe. I think. I think if the first time storyteller is is very invested in Star Trek, I think that would that would be impetus enough for a first time storyteller to dig in and use the resources available, mm-hmm. especially the, the quick start rules, some of the free adventures available and whatnot. Yeah. There's enough crutches that are up there and readily available that a first-time storyteller who is enthusiastic about Star Trek could absolutely pick this game up and run it. Yeah. And I dare say the same the same with a with a with a first-time role player. Mm-hmm. Um I, I think I think the mechanics are friendly enough to a to a player especially. Mm-hmm. Um I think a lot of a lot of the difficulty curve on this game is on the storyteller because the storyteller needs to know the correct uh mechanics to employ at any given time. Yeah. My take on it is a lot like you did, like with, I think that uh, knowing and being enthusiastic about the setting is going to push you into it. That being said, the quick start was enough to get me everything I needed. Mm -hmm. And that alone tells me that's good. Yes. Right there. Now, the other part of that is if I'm an existing storyteller in another system, is it going to be challenging for me to move into this and my answer to that one is not as much Mm -hmm. because everything is not similar enough to be confusing they've flipped the dice it's 2d20 your d6s aren't d6s like it's enough that you're like i have to rethink this whole thing it's not close to D. &D. yeah it's not close to uh uh shadow run pools it's not close to savage world it's its own thing Mm mm-hmm but it's not confusing. Yeah. It's the rules are the same through each one of the sections. Your brain naturally picks up on that process. Mm-hmm. So I coming from it, like you can see influences like fate, like uh, the uh, power by the apocalypse stuff is in there. There's all kinds of good uh, tells that if you know, those are the systems you look at this and squint and go, I see what you did there. Nice yeah. job. Nice job. Yeah. I like that. Especially the fate stuff, yeah. Yeah, especially the fate stuff. I think that's that was it's a great addition to see in there. Mm-hmm. But that kind of stuff um helps you kind of squint and go, Oh, I see what you okay, okay, I now pick and pick that up. <laughs> right? Because it's no longer a heavy mechanic lift, right? It's a simplistic mechanic lift. It's adding something that makes sense to remove cascading need. Yeah. You know, Shadowrun did cascading needs of, like, this plus this minus this plus this. And you're like, okay, i got to keep track of all that. No, 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 no. It's dark. Is that good or bad for you? Mm-hmm. I don't care. Like, you tell me. Yeah. Right? We'll figure it out from there. You know, you know, my character is, uh, my character is, is got good vision. Sure. Okay. Okay, well, I guess that dark doesn't matter to you. Right. Oh, there's subspace interference. You know. Okay, well, wouldn't that scramble their sensors as they're searching for us? Probably, sure. Sure, (laughs) yeah. And it's those little things that help remove the concern, but also give a very 
central point for everyone at the yeah. table to know yeah. what the math is versus looking up a chart or looking up a workflow or comparing numbers on their sheet to try and match things somewhere else, mm-hmm. right? That that's all gets very challenging. I think Battletech did a good job of, like, look at the board where the mechs are. What's that number? That's the number I need to know. Yeah. That's the – what color is it? What's the number? I know what's going on. Yep. Because it's visually in line with me. It's I'm presenting to you what needs to be known as a storyteller, and you're presenting to me the things that I need to know to make the scene. Yeah. To make the scene different. And yep. that, I think, makes it good. Yes. So, I yes. like that. I like that. All right, dude. Ooh. I'll put a bow on this one. Yeah, I think so. I think Alrighty. so. Felt good for the last one of the year, and it, it was beefy. It was beefy. Yeah. Yeah, really good. And I'm, I'm looking – I'm very much looking forward to running this uh, once my Elder Scrolls game is done, so – Yep. Uh, all right. So next week's topic, uh, we're going to talk about handling stealth scenes. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, like from, from pretty much every game system, you've got somebody who's going to play some sort of a sneaky character from your D and D rogue to you know uh, a, a stealth assassin with camo, you know, active camo and or a even like or a something. group being stealthy. Right. I, I I love the concept of the big guy doing the cronk thing. <laughs> Like yeah, hiding yeah. on the wall, and everybody's just kind of staring at him like, what the heck is this guy doing? But uh, we want to make sure that uh, people have more options under their belt than just, uh, okay, you roll stealth, nobody saw you, you did the thing. You know, yeah. there's a lot more better ways to do that, and, you know, what happens if guards see you and whatnot, so. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we'll discuss that uh, next week. On the meantime, you can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave, on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on MixLR.com slash Storyteller dash Conclave. And uh, join us up on our Discord. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, specifically, if you have played other Modifius games other than Dune and Star Trek, do they do the go play an NPC thing? I yeah, want to know. know. We want to know. Uh, hit us up on Twitter or, or our Discord. I'd love to hear from you there. You can find the link on our Twitter as well as StorytellerConclave.com, our website. We'd also like to thank our Patreon uh, supporters who help us every single month, especially our name members, Knox in the Box, Subjet, The Arcane Asylum, Veteran, James, Sam, Sean, and Sparkle Motion, and Hulu. We appreciate all your support. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find them at patreon.com slash arcane anthems or on YouTube music at arcane anthems. And our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find them at uh, geefrog.bandcamp.com. And our outro music is Only Our Footprints in the Sand, which you're hearing right now, uh, by Midair Machine. You can find them at freemusicarchive.org. And a big shout-out, as always, to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank, Thank you so you. much for loving and supporting us and watching a lot of Star Trek with us. All of our friends who sat with our tables over the years to give these great stories to share with you and you, every single one of our listeners. We love you so much. We love you guys. Live long and prosper. (laughs) Good night.